All right, Colossians chapter 3. We're still sort of in 15 to 17. Next week we're going to move to uh, some new material, so I'm sure you'll all be excited about that. Of course, you might not be excited about the material we're about to cover. We're going to get into some, um, what is unfortunately occasionally controversial, though it shouldn't be. Uh, none of what we're going to be talking about should be controversial, but um, let us hear that with uh, open hearts when we do. But today we're chapter, thir- uh, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word by which you reveal yourself and your will to us. We thank you for revealing who we are apart from Christ, what you have done for sinners in Christ, and who people are if they are in Christ, their new identity. Speak to us now that we would know how we are to live because of who we are in Christ. Amen. This week I had uh, put a quote from a book that I'm reading on leadership on Facebook, which is always a precarious sort of thing, because you always have the possibility that someone's going to disagree with you. I know. No one ever disagrees with anybody on Facebook. And of course, uh, one of my old friends um, disagreed with me. And we had a a rather short discussion. It was not ugly in any way, shape, or form, but a short discussion about leadership on Facebook. And, And while Scripture talks about many important things regarding who a leader is and overall what a leader does, there are some gaps about how a leader does what he does. And so I was arguing for the idea of building consensus amongst the leadership of a church. And uh, he was kind of he, he was kind of coming from the perspective of we need to respect the gifts of leadership within a body, and I think we ended up finding some common ground in the midst of it somewhere there. But nonetheless, there are many things about which Scripture does not speak, and about which Christians, as a result, often fight. We fight about whether or not to do homeschooling, private school, Christian schools, and public schools. Not we ourselves, but. Christians in general, obviously. Uh, You know, we fight about all kinds of things like that. Paul gets into that today. Not those specific issues, but that bigger, broader sort of issue this morning. I think he instructs us on what we are to do when we come to those kinds of questions. The big idea this morning is that the name of Christ should shape our choices. As you will discover as I present the word this morning, there are some things about which this I'm unclear about this text. That it's just, it requires more time processing in my brain than I had to give it this week. So hopefully God will help by His Spirit so it will be more clear to you than it is to me. That would be a good thing, I think. 
Let's start with the idea that our choices matter, even the most ordinary ones. To hear some people talk, often on Facebook and those Calvinism uh, groups, you think that you need an explicit command for everything. There are people perhaps in the, uh, for instance, in the baptism debate, where is it we are commanded to baptize infants? And, you know, yeah, it doesn't say that explicitly. There are some things that God does explicitly give us, and there are some things that we are taught, as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, by good and necessary consequence. In other words, God intends for us to think about what he has said and then begin to apply what he has said to our various circumstances. So there are some things about which God speaks indirectly. And so we uh, who do believe in infant baptism would say God speaks about that indirectly, but we think clearly. And of course, some of our brothers and sisters disagree with us on that matter. And that's okay. No blood should be spilt on that discussion. And so there are many things. Not just baptism, for instance, that's built with an implicit argument. For let's, let's go a little farther, for instance. Abortion. There's no command, no explicit command in Scripture that we are uh, not to abort children, right? Has anyone, has anyone found a command that says that explicitly? No. But we do obviously have the command that we shall not commit murder. Okay, We are not to take a life that is not forfeit, meaning a life that is forfeit is one that because of their, that person's sin, they have forfeited their own life. And there are certain sins that are found in the Old Testament that, were, that declared someone's life forfeit, and one of those would be murder. Okay? And so we're not to kill people unless there is just cause for that. And so the question then becomes, well, is this person, like in Jessica's body right now, in her womb, is that a, a person or, as many people like to talk about today, a fetus? Of course, it wasn't the royal fetus they talked about. It was the royal baby. So there's the, the, the schizophrenia of our culture when they want to do damage to it, it's a fetus. When they want to, when they're all warm and fuzzy about it, it's a baby. Well, what does Scripture think about it? We think it was consistently in places like Psalm 139, uh, Jeremiah 1, and the book of Job, that that person before they're born is considered a person, not a thing. And if it's a person, then we recognize that we are not to kill it. And so, see, that's the implicit argument for the saying that abortion, generally speaking, is a sin. Okay? So that's part of how it takes place. But Paul also taught about these things that are called matters of indifference. That's why I had Marty read from Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 10. They were matters of indifference that were being discussed there. Paul said that all of these things are clean, but if you think it's not clean, then you don't do it. And in that particular instance, Paul was talking about food sacrificed to idols. That's what was going on. There was a controversy in the church as to, because what had happened is you're living in a secular culture a pagan culture, worshiping many gods. And what would happen is the dealer of the meat, the butcher, would usually sacrifice food to various idols, butcher it, and sell it. Okay, Just like today, if you want to go to the grocery store, it's hard to find beef that doesn't have all of the 
pesticides and the antibiotics. It's hard to find good, clean beef, right? Same thing. You couldn't, it's really hard to find good, clean beef back then. And so some Christians responded to this by saying, because it's been sacrificed to idols, we have to keep away from it like the plague. And other Christians said, you know what? Those idols are nothing. They're not gods. We can eat this meat. And so discussion and disagreement started to arise. And Paul said essentially what you heard there, don't judge each other on the basis of this. Know the truth and grow in the truth and act upon your conscience in these matters that we call issues of indifference. Today, it's more of a question of, you see it all the time, or at least you hear it all the time, can I listen to secular music? Can I have a beer with my pizza? These are the questions that some Christians wrestle with and argue about interminably, it seems. Paul said there, and he would say here, that the peace of Christ that he purchased with his blood is not worth breaking for music, beer, meat, all of these things that ultimately don't matter because the kingdom of God is not about these things. It is about peace, joy, and righteousness. And so he says, don't get caught up in that stuff and arguing about those things. But he does say that weak consciences should be strengthened by the truth so that the sermon is clear. And Paul's not the only one who really talked about this. Hebrews 5 also addresses this, because Hebrews 5 is talking about how they should already be teachers, but they were weak in their faith. They they were really still immature. And he says, For I tell you, solid food is for the mature. And he just finds it by this. Those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so the mature person has a biblical understanding of good and evil. Knows that which is good, knows that which is evil. It doesn't happen automatically. It says they've been trained by constant practice. And so this is a person who's always thinking through the moral dilemmas, the questions that come before him. So then, there, in addition to these matters of indifference, there are matters to which uh, little or nothing is said. For instance, the specific person you're supposed to marry, or for those of you who are already married like me, you did marry. Okay, um, Which house you should buy? You know, if Alex was waiting for a word from God about which house he should buy, he would be waiting for a long time. Okay? Which car to purchase? Which job to take? These are questions we face all the time, and God doesn't always address these issues in the way we wish. We wish he would suddenly shine a light, boom, right down on the person that we're going to marry or the house we want to buy. You know, I like that to be easy sometimes. But that's not how God does things. And as a result, we as Christians can go to two extremes based on our personalities. There are some who go to the extreme of thoughtlessness. They say, Christ has died for me, I'm forgiven, and so I'm just going to live. And so they don't give a thought as to the choices aside from what is clearly sin and clearly not sin. Okay, some people just just do whatever they want to do. They don't think about it. And on the other hand, there are people who essentially get paralyzed. They overanalyze things. They just kind of—they never do anything because they're always trapped in this 
cycle of, of trying to discern the secret will of God. And there's a, week, there's a reason why we call it the secret will of God. Okay? <clears throat> anyway, we'll get, to, we'll get back to that in a little bit. We go to extremes, but Paul here says, whatever you do in word or deed. And so, in other, in other words, Paul is addressing all of the choices that the Colossian Christians were going to make, which also means he is, he is addressing all of the choices and decisions that we are going to make. From the things that are clearly taught in the law to the things that are implicitly taught in the word of Christ to the things of indifference and to the things that are not covered at all. Whatever you do, word or deed, functions as a shorthand for all of our life choices. Whatever you speak, whatever you do. And this means that we should not be thoughtless about our decisions regarding you know, the ordinary things of life. Shouldn't be thoughtless. Whatever you do or say should not break God's law or its implications. We have this warning from Jesus, for instance, in Matthew chapter 12. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so those things, those words that we say that we, that we think are rather inconsequential, Jesus say, says they matter. So let's not be thoughtless about how we live in the church and as his people. So all of our choices matter if we belong to Jesus. So how are we to kind of sort them out? This is big picture, remember? The honor and authority of Christ matters, or they matter, in our choices. The matters that God does not address still matter because they are under Christ's authority and lordship. Paul says, continuing this sentence, do everything. Remember, all those things that you say and do, do them all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, nothing is exempt. All of these things are to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Well, first off, let's start with the name. We saw from Exodus 33, Moses says, show me your glory. And he says, I will declare my name to you. His name is his glory, which means essentially his name is his character. It's who he is. And what he does flows out of who he is. And so we saw part of it, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. He also says later on in that same event, when he passes before Moses, I am the Lord, abundant in love and mercy. He says that he is, he pardons people. He says that he is slow to anger. He says that he will not let the guilty off. He is faithful. So his name reveals who he is. That's an important thing for us to keep in mind. It is his character. And so we, who Paul has called God's chosen, beloved, and holy people, okay? If we're in Christ, that's who we are. We are meant to bear his name, to bear his character, and meaning that we are to reflect who he is 
as Paul says here, in all that we do. Let's go back to Facebook for a second. Haven't we all run into those people who will verbally abuse others, who will drop all kinds of profanity? Maybe I have the wrong group of people on my friends list. (laughs) Maybe I need to hit some deletes. But the next minute what they're doing is they're putting up some cute little meme that quotes from Scripture. It's an inconsistency. We are not to reflect that inconsistency. We are to to be, remember that on Facebook, we are to speak and act as people who love Christ and love others who are in his image. Doesn't mean you don't disagree with people, but it means you don't do it disagreeably in an ugly fashion. There's too much of that going on. We don't need to add to it. John Fame reminds us that Christianity is a public faith. It is to be carried out in the workplace and marketplaces as well as in churches and homes. So whether it's Facebook or the gym or the ball field, we are to speak and act in light of the fact that we bear the name of Jesus. And so if you're in the workplace and everyone is telling the dirty jokes... Maybe you shouldn't tell the next one. Okay? This eliminates any of the practices that the false teachers were encouraging the people of Colossae to engage in because those things minimize the name of Christ. They minimize the sufficiency and the adequacy and supremacy of Jesus. And so all of those other rituals that they were trying to get the people to partake in, Paul would have said, don't do that because you can't do that in the name of Christ. This also has to do with recognizing Christ's authority because his name here is spoken of the Lord Jesus. Not only is he God, but he is sovereign. He has authority. We are meant to, in in all that we do, recognize his authority over our lives. Perhaps some of you have heard a quote by Abraham uh, Kuyper, uh, who was a, a Dutch theologian and statesman in the Netherlands around the turn of the previous century. Um, you haven't heard the whole quote, probably. Some of you have. I'm sure Topher has. But Oh, no single piece of our mental world is to be hermeneutically sealed, sorry, hermeneutically sealed off from the rest. And there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. That means that we don't put different parts of our brain, like this is uh, my work part of my brain, and this is my home part of my brain, this is my hanging out with the guys part of my brain. This is my private thinking part of my brain. And Jesus is Lord over these two things, but not these two things. He is intended to be Lord, not just over how I am in my family or how I am in the church. He's Lord over how I'm supposed to be in the workplace, how I'm supposed to be in my marriage with Amy, all of my private thoughts 
that thankfully you all don't know about, which we all have. He's intended to be Lord over those things. We're not supposed to just kind of partition off some things. That, well, Jesus not allowed here. That's not how we are to live. By his authority, which is expressed in his word, he limits some of our choices. And so while God will not shine a light on the person that you you are going to marry, he will say a few things about the person you're going to marry. His word will say that they must be of a different sex than you. That's in there. That's pretty clear. We can't break that one. Everyone around us now wants us to break that one and ignore it, but we can't. It's a man and a woman. It's not just up for grabs. Not only that, but Scripture says that they are to belong to the Lord if you belong to the Lord. In other words, no religiously mixed marriages. That's what God says. And then beyond that, it's okay. You can pick someone from India. Or not. New Jersey. doesn't matter. doesn't matter the color of their skin. What matters is they belong to Christ. That's what matters. The process by which you find them doesn't matter either. It could be the way Alex went and the way uh, the Lockharts went. It could be the way Amy and I went. It could be the way a million other people go. There's no one way. God uses many means to bring that person into your life. Additionally, there are some questions that become a matter of agenda or authority. This thing brings us to the forefront. If, I'm to, if we're to do things in Christ's name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then there, there becomes an issue of agenda that comes to the surface. In other words, am I following his agenda or my agenda? For instance, a new building on the other side of this lot. That's what we have to sort out at times. Are we following our agenda or his agenda? It's not something to be entered into lightly. But we must think about this, pray about this. Whose agenda are we seeking in these things? Because there have been, I know of, many additions and buildings that have been built to the glory and the honor of a pastor than they have instead of the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. That's not what we want to do. That's not what I want to do. We bear his name in the world before men to bring it honor and glory. One of the things on Facebook this week was Stephanie, who's now all hiding back there. And so, you know, she was like, even if I don't do anything for my test, I'm still going to get a B in this class. Why bother? And unfortunately for Stephanie, I was preparing this sermon. <laughs> because I had these texts running through my brain. And I said, whatever you do, it's supposed to be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, whether or not she studies has nothing to do with what her grade will be, but whether or not she's going to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by doing as well as she can within the circumstances she has. 
Okay. We recognize that uh, she started all kinds of stuff to prepare for teach this, teach this year. So it's not like she has 40 hours a day, oh, sorry, a week, <laughs> to prepare for her tests. Okay? We recognize the limitations of time, but she should study so that she does well, not for a grade, but for Christ, to make the most of what he has given her intellectually and by aptitude. Because when we don't, I think this is, this is, I think, by that good and necessary consequence thing. Exodus 20, the third commandment, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We, if we are to do everything in his name, if we're taking that rather lightly, we're breaking that commandment. As I said, uh, sometimes it's a question of authority or agenda. Sometimes it's a question of glory. Who's going to get this glory, Jesus or me? And so, you know, sometimes we have to ask that question when we're getting ready to serve. Am I doing this for my own sake so I get some attaboys? Or am I doing this for Christ's sake that he gets the praise and the glory? And so we're to do all things. Okay, We're supposed to do all things. In other words, don't suffer from this paralysis from analysis that we can sometimes get locked into it. While we must be thoughtful about what we do, we can't be so thoughtful we never do anything. I've heard stories of people who wouldn't get dressed until they heard from the Lord what to put on. I'm not talking about that. There were some days they wouldn't get dressed because they weren't sure which socks to put on. That's not what I'm talking about. There are, th- there are things which we are free to do, and to the glory of God, I'm wearing this shirt today. Because it goes nicely with this pair of pants. But I didn't spend ten minutes trying to sort that out. Okay? Acted in faith. Maybe my faith was mistaken. Um, anyway, we're to act in faith. So in other words, if you want to eat vegan, I don't know why you'd want to do that, but do it. You're free to do that if that is which, how you want to eat. If you want to eat meat, if you like uh, kitchen yeah, chicken fried bacon, go ahead. It's all right. Just don't eat it all the time. That'll be a quick path to the grave. Um, <laughs> if you want to do a particular career, and if you have the, the aptitude for what is required for that, try it. See what happens. Okay? If you're completely uncoordinated, don't try to be a professional baseball player. It's just not going to happen. But you don't have to agonize for years over what to do. God wants you to do, to engage. Bring his name to these places. It's okay. In other words, Augustine put it this way. Love God and do what you want. Because if you love God, you're going to want to do his will. Probably just should have said that and be done with the whole sermon. All right? (laughs) So the Lord Jesus is to influence all of our choices so that we bring him glory and honor. And the third part is rather short, I think. We'll see. Um, Our choices can reflect our gratitude to God because that is where Paul goes next. This is not just a rational, analytical process. Uh, We are not to be stoics who are sort of engaged in this process, completely unfeeling. All right? Paul says, Do whatever you do in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks. He ties these things together. We are to do these things giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul is connecting our choices to gratitude, and we need to make sure we are beginning to connect our choices to gratitude. Our choices should be rooted in gratitude, not ingratitude. Catch what I'm saying? In other words, they should, be, they should not be rooted in the failure to trust God's goodness, but instead they should engage God's goodness towards us in all that He has provided for us. And so we are to give thanks, for instance, for God's saving grace. That we can only glorify and enjoy Him precisely because He has saved us from His own wrath due to our sin. And so uh, gratitude is a biblical motive. It's not the only biblical motive, but it is an important one. We see also faith and love as biblical motives, but it is a biblical motive for obedience and service. That's part of why the Heidelberg Catechism brings that up, that idea of gratitude. We're expressing our gratitude in the, these acts of obedience and these acts of service towards others. And so if, you know, you're getting ready to bring meals over to the millers in the next couple of weeks, you know, I, I don't want, I don't want you to think, I have to do this. What I want you to think is, I'm glad to do this. Because God has saved me from my sin. God has placed me in a loving church. And I love Claire and Jim. And I want to help them right now. That's what I want. Because that is what Paul's talking about. Because that is what God wants. Not our begrudging because I have tos. But I want to. Because I have tasted of the goodness of God. And I want to share the goodness of God with other people. So part of it is our giving thanks for the saving grace. Some of it is giving thanks for God's provision that enables the opportunity for service. Meaning that He's given you things. He's giving you perhaps financial resources. Because if you don't have food, you can't bring anything over to their house for instance. Or if you don't have money to put gas in your car, you can't bring stuff over to their house unless you, it's a short bike ride, I don't know. Okay? But you understand? Not only that, but sort of a, an aptitude for things. A gift and ability. There's certain things that we, you know, I'm not sure. I want, I want to invite Topher to come play my guitar on a Sunday morning. He may be thankful for God's saving grace, but he may not have the gifts to play a guitar in a worship service. Am I off the boat? Well, I haven't developed those gifts in my <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, you know, not ask, you know, God's not asking you to do something he has not equipped you for. Okay? So if you can't play guitar, don't think God is asking you to play guitar. Right? So that should be freeing for some of you. Um... Please don't chant. Please. 
Um, so, you know, we have to, we recognize the, the gifts and abilities that he's given us, enable us to, to serve other people, and that's, that's key in terms of understanding what our vocation ought to be. I'm not wired to be an engineer like Ken and Daniel and Alex and some of the other guys. I'm not wired that way. So it would be foolish for me to try and act like that way. I was wired that way. In other words, choose in light of who God made you. He's in control of all that. Don't feel like your life is meaningless because you can't be something you wanted to be when you were eight years old. Okay. Um, oh, where was I? Additionally, give thanks for God's common grace that enriches all people for their pleasure. We don't think about that sometimes. 1 Timothy 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And here's the phrase I want us to think about. Who richly provides us with everything to give away. No. To enjoy. God is pleased when you give stuff away. But there's also a place within the Christian life to enjoy that which he has given you. In other words, you don't have to live like you make $10,000 even though you make 50000 You can enjoy some of what God gives you. Talk to him about that. But not only that, we see... From Psalm 104, you, God, caused the grass to grow for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Do you see all that God, he says God provides there? The crops for food? But not just that the crops to make wine or beer, to gladden the heart of man. Oil from those crops to make his face shine. Bread from those crops to strengthen his heart. And so if we recognize what God provides for us, generally speaking, regardless of whether we're Christians or not, we are able to embrace and enjoy those things for our pleasure. For instance, on a less controversial subject than beer, orange juice. John Piper has an essay on drinking orange juice to the glory of God. If you and I were were to write it, we probably would be three sentences, right? It tastes good. I like it. I thank God. (laughs) But he starts in how, you know, God made oranges, period. And not just made oranges, but put it in the heart of some people that they want to grow orange trees and have orange groves and produce lots of these things. But in order for them to grow, you see, God has to send rain and sun. And so God in His providence is making sure that those particular oranges grow. And He protects them from bugs. And it's not just that, you see, but there's also people who have to come and have to pick these oranges. 
I've seen this. We had our church in Florida offer an orange grove, and we sometimes I've watched them harvest the oranges, okay? And so there's people and machines that are used to harvest these oranges, but that's not it. They would, they have to bring them to these processing things. So you have all these trucks that have to be, and the drivers of the trucks that God uses to bring these oranges to the processing plant where they are crushed. And we would have the sweet aroma in in Florida of the fact, you know, the wind blows the right way and it's oranges from the, from the processing plants. And then there's some guy who, you know, there's people who have to operate all of the machines. There's people that have to load up the trucks and put it in cartons. And all the people who make the pallets that all of these juice cartons sit on that go to the grocery store. And the people in the grocery store that have to have to stock the shelves and unpack everything. The cashiers, the car that you use perhaps is go to the grocery store. And so he goes, all of these things that God has done and God has given to you, And so when you drink that orange juice, you're thankful not just for the juice, but for everything God did to get the juice from point A to point B. And not only that, but most of us have a taste of smell, sorry, a sense of smell and taste, so that we find it not just nutritious, but delightful. Oh, the God who made pleasure. Be thankful for the God who made pleasure. So you see, when we, we begin to think about some of these things, and we, we begin to think about connecting them to gratitude, life becomes a lot more enjoyable. Because we're filled with gratitude instead of complaining all the time. That's, a, that's an attractive Christian, by golly. A content, grateful Christian is an attractive Christian. The sour-faced Christian, not so attractive. I'm prone toward the sour face, okay? I understand. I grew up in New England. I grew up in my family. It's all against me. But there is the Spirit of God who is at work to produce grateful people. So it's not you on your own doing this. It is the Spirit of God striving in you, particularly as you hear the Word of God preached and read, that you begin to change course. And so we live by faith in the supreme and sufficient Christ. His name is sufficient to shape our choices. His character, authority, and glory should be reflected in those who have been saved by His all-sufficient grace. And so we should not be thoughtless about our lives, but neither should we be so analytical that we, we don't even do anything. Rather, gratitude moves us into obedience, moves us into service, and moves us into the enjoyment of His good gifts. And so uh, whether you're reckless or whether you're sort of stuck... Let us consider the name of the Lord Jesus as we go through our day so that we can glorify Him in all that we do. Let's pray. Father, I ask that You would help us to believe what we have heard this morning, recognizing what has come from You. Father, forgive me for the ways in which I have gotten in the way and the ways in which I have misrepresented Your Word. Help us to not only believe what You have said, but to obey 
to put the truth into practice as a result of our faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord, who died for our sin to deliver us into Your presence. Amen.